Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The one question I'm asked more than anything else is, will the big guy ever come back to the game? And then the other question is, is the three ball killing the game? Right now, there's not a lot of good defensive teams in the NBA. Got a great show for you today. My guest is coming up momentarily, and then I'm going to have a little help with my rant towards the end of the podcast. Always great to have you here. Don't forget about my video rants over on YouTube if you don't like that with Grant Napier. Today's show is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. For all of your home loan needs, just go to roysumbrella.com. No gimmick, no tricks, no hidden fees at the end. I've used Roy for a number of years. He and his staff, they are absolutely awesome. You will love dealing with Roy, his office staff. It is a tremendous experience. I mean, when you think about doing loans, it can be a headache. It was not the case for me at all. It was just a great experience. I could not thank Roy and his staff enough. And again, if you're in the market for a new home, looking to do a refi, just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest on the podcast today is one of nine coaches in NBA history to have 1,000 NBA games in the win column, and he's got a lot more than that. What a career. I think the guy should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, many great years in Seattle. Did a fabulous job in Milwaukee. Had a very short stint in Sacramento. He coached overseas. He coached in the ABA. He's really had a remarkable career and somebody I've got a lot of respect for. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast George Carl. George, how are you, sir? Grant, I'm good. We live in a crazy world right now. The COVID stuff has probably got us all kind of on a bit of an emotional yo-yo on some days, but my life is good. My life is easy. You know, I just try to wake up every day, have some fun, and celebrate what we have. We're going to talk about your podcast a little bit later in this podcast, but, you know, the one thing I always remember about you, George, when I used to, you know, be announcing games when you were the coach of the other team, you were one of the few coaches that absolutely loved coming out an hour, hour and a half before the game, and you absolutely loved talking to the writers and the people that covered the league. What what was it about before the game you, you know, conversing back and forth with the media that you enjoyed so much? Well, yeah, I'm not sure I was that way all the time early in my life, but I, I just learned that through my many, many situations of being in a lot of different cities, the media is a part of the game. And with internet, of course, going into the world, it becomes a bigger part of the game. And so I just decided to try to make the best of it, try to have interaction, communicate, try to listen. And because of that, I think, you know, the one thing I had was, before a game, I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of worry, a lot of thoughts. And it was kind of my escape to go, you know, kind of go flirt with the media before the game in a lot of ways. George, the game is so different now than when you played and when you began your coaching career. Do you like the way the game is played now? Wow. It's interesting because I think being out for the last six or seven years, you know, I meet with a lot of coaches. I mentor some coaches. I I hang out in a lot of gyms. Guys come to Denver. NBA guys come to Denver. I go and watch practice. I'm 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 still in the, involved in the game. And the one question, the one question I'm asked more than anything else is, will the big guy ever come back to the game? And then the other question is, is the three ball killing the game? I'm amazed in the last year, 
there are more and more coaches that are worried about how the game is played now. Am I one of those guys? I like playing fast. I like playing before the defense sets. I like shooting a three. But I, I think there's a way to coach it. And today's game is being played with similar thought processes, but I'm not sure they're coaching it as well as they need to coach it for it to be maybe accepted by the real basketball guy. You know, I think the game, as you said, has changed unbelievably. Even since the time I've been out of Sacramento, the game is back when I was in Sacramento, there might have been 10 teams playing fast. Now there's 25 teams playing fast. And it seems like everybody is adapting, you know, playing with the three ball as, as maybe the primary shot in the game in some way. And that scares me because I still think the game is about scoring easy baskets, getting the layup, getting the free throw, and then finding the three ball. Coaches seem today want the three ball more than anything else. And I don't know if that's dangerous, but I still, I'm, I'm still a believer that you love the rim, you like the three ball, and you need to get fouled to win games. George, you mentioned your time in Sacramento. Money aside, do you regret taking that job? Oh, man. Do I regret? I don't think I regret. Regret's a powerful word in my mentality. I I was disappointed in what happened out there. I know that I'm responsible for some of that. So I've always looked at it kind of in the way of what could I have done better? And then in some ways, to be honest with you, I, I love the Sacramento fans. I want Sacramento so badly to have a good team. It's scary because those guys, the fans are so damn loyal and committed. And not to have a playoff team for whatever it is, 18, 19, I don't know what it is now, but it's a long time. And, and I, you know, I, when I look at Sacramento, I, I kind of say to myself, I wish I would have done better. I wish, you know, we could have figured it out. And, you know, in today's game, I think the game has gotten to be so – the coach not, you know, is a win and must call. You must win. Not only you must win in coaching, you kind of got to do it in a way that the ownership likes it. And, you know, I, I just think – I think Sacramento hasn't had a lot of patience with their coaching coaching decisions. And, and I think when you got an average – below average team or average to good – above average – you got to have patience in this game. You got to be patient for a young kid to come around or make the right move or get rid of the bad contract instead of always blaming the coach. And I think the one thing I, I, I feel bad about is from, you know, Jaeger to Malone to Carl to whoever else was left go by Sacramento. You know, I, I think they, they probably should have been more patient with some of the plans because. I don't think Sacramento is that far from being a good basketball city or, I mean, a good basketball team. And the city is ready for a great team. I've said for years and years and years that coaching is not the problem in Sacramento. As you mentioned, when you have so many coaches come and go, that should tell the fans that coaching is not the issue. I didn't have you on to spend a lot of time talking about DeMarcus Cousins, but I did want to ask you this because when I look back at his career, and he was a very tumultuous player. He was very disrespectful to coaches. You know that firsthand. But I thought he played maybe as well as he has ever in his career when you were coaching. You, in your your philosophy, he became more of a three-point shooter. In addition to what he did down low, he was getting triple-doubles on a fairly regular basis. Would you agree with my assessment that DeMarcus under you actually played outstanding? Well, you know, I think he had some moments after I was there that was similar to how he played. but then. Since his injuries, there's no question that, you know, that last spurt with me, there's no question that I thought he was playing at a high, high all-star level. And DeMarcus has, I mean, everybody, you know, the thing that I wanted DeMarcus to do was to play out in front of the basket as much as in the post-up. And that's the way the game's going. And, I mean, that game, that, that, that change has happened for 20 or 30 years. And when I would watch DeMarcus make, practice shooting threes he was as good as anybody on my team shooting them so why shouldn't he be able to shoot them? you know and that was my and i think he's a good decision maker i think he has a good basketball iq you know the thing that demarcus 
he still has to understand that his emotional instability creates a negative energy, not only for himself, but for his team. And those are the things that he never kind of got a grasp of. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure he has a grasp on it yet now. Last question on DeMarcus. Paul Westfall told me that he had never been disrespected as much by anybody in his life. And he mentioned DeMarcus, that he is he disrespected Paul as a coach more than any other player that he ever coached. You've coached a lot of players. And listen, it's not always hunky-dory on the sideline. It's not always, you know, buddy-buddy. And there's, 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 you know, things that are said that you regret. How hard was that for you, George, with the constant berating and cursing that he put towards you and the other coaches? Well, Grant, not, it's just not to coaches. He does it to his teammates. He does, he does it to the equipment manager. He does it to... I mean, he picks on everybody when things are not going in a good way. You know, I call them, I call them energy vampires and negative energy vampires. You know, they, they thrive on creating a negative atmosphere as where success comes through positivity. And it drove me crazy, to be honest with you. I mean, and, and how to figure it out was the, was the challenge. And I don't think a guy that, intimidates or bullies and is physically verbally and physically aggressive is that you back down from that that's not what you do i think you got to stand up to it unfortunately that was not what that was not the agreement between management or maybe ownership and how they wanted me to handle the market and i you know my belief and don't get me wrong, I've had World Be Free and Joe Barry Carroll and Gary Payton wasn't easy. Kenyon Martin wasn't easy. Alan Iverson. I've handled these guys in the past, and I honestly thought I could get to DeMarc. I'd be honest with you. I honestly thought if we handled it the right way, yeah, there's going to be some blow-ups, but we'll talk them through that. We'll get them to a better place. We'll win some games. We'll get the feeling of building a team that can be a playoff team. And he'll come around. But it wasn't going to take, it, was, it wasn't going to be done in a year. It was going to have to be done in a process that's probably going to take at least two or three years. And I think, you know, in general, you know, the, the, the choices you have is if you want to manage negative energy, it's going to take some time. But if you want to be a light switch and you think you're going to turn it on, I don't think you're realistic about what goes on in the NBA. George, I want to talk to you about your years in Seattle. It was such a storybook, uh, incredible run that you had up there on the cusp of winning a championship uh, in that city. Let's first of all talk about basketball in Seattle and what a travesty it is that the Sonics are no longer there. But uh, maybe you know more than I do about getting basketball back in that city. What, what, what is it about Seattle, the Sonics, the fans, that community that made that such a phenomenal place for you to be at over those years? Well, you know, we, I mean, we just, Bob Woodson, when, I, when he hired me out of Madrid and we came back, you know, it was kind of the perfect team for George Carl. I liked defense and I liked to play fast. And they had really good defensive players. They had really good defensive concepts. And they had two young guys and Gary Payton and Sean Kemp that were just coming. They were just going to be, they, they were coming. And they played in, you know, they, they played the game aggressively, defensively, which is, that's a gift to have for an NBA coach. Because defense is probably the foundation of any championship. The game is kind of starts with defense. Now, today's game, we can argue that defense is going out the window. And I agree. Right now, there's not a lot of good defensive teams in the NBA. And I think the NBA might have to sometime in the near future consider bringing the hands back in because if you're going to let the freedom of the ball movement that they like in the game to be in the way it is now, it's going to be hard to get better defensively, you know? And I, I think a lot of the defensive options of improving defensively has been taken away because of the rules. But when I got to Seattle, I, I mean, I had a perfect storm. Bob Woodson was really good for me. It calmed down my ego. He kicked me around a little bit and told me to shut up a little bit when I deserved it. And I think, you know, I got in control of what I did well, and that's coach and coach the game. And 
I had great leadership on the team from guys like Nate McMillan. I had Bob Kloppenberg, Tim Gergridge, and Terry Stocks, Bobby Weiss with me on the bench, first-class NBA coaches. And, you know, it, it just came – it was like my perfect moment. I'd gone to Europe. I had some great teams in, in Spain. I had some failures. I had some growing up experiences that were really important in my life. And when I came back to Seattle, I, I just, it was kind of like the perfect storm for me in a lot of ways. Talk about the void that the Sonics leaving for Oklahoma City has had on that city. And I know that, you know, you're involved with Sonics Forever, which is a celebration of the Seattle Supersonics, among other things. And we're going to talk about that. The void of no basketball in Seattle. First of all, it's hard to believe that there is no NBA basketball currently in Seattle. Do you think it will be back within five years, George? Do you think we're going to get the NBA back in Seattle in the next three, four, five years? If I had to go to Vegas and bet, I would bet yes. I would bet that that will happen in the next five years. I think a lot of it's going to be driven by the economy of COVID. I know expansion is now on the table. And is it because it was an osmosis, a process that was going to happen without the COVID nightmare uh, and, the, and the COVID economy that we now have in our country, but also in sports? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I, think, I think expansion could have happen very quickly. And if they would bypass Seattle and the expansion, I, I, I would just go crazy. I mean, I would, I would just. I might jump off the bridge. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you you described it very well. I mean, Seattle deserves a team. You know, it has Lenny Wilkins, it has Jack Sickman, it has a world championship. You know, it has it's had it's had Nate McMillan, it's had Kevin Durant, it's <laughs> right. had Ray Allen. I mean, it has had too many great situations and teams to let an ownership thing, which I still don't understand, but I have no idea. I mean, sure. I don't know exactly why it all fell apart up there from Schultz to David Stern not liking the, the building arrangement. I mean, I've heard all the excuses, but I think most of them are just BS. And it just came down to money. And Schultz wanted out, and he got out. And Oklahoma City had shown that they had a small market, you know, kind of greed and bait. You know, Oklahoma City is like, like the Green Bay Packers of the NBA. Right, right. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, it's a small yeah. town, but it supports the great, supports the team. And I, I don't want Oklahoma City not to have a team. I just want Seattle to get a team. George, you mentioned Bob Whitsitt a couple of minutes ago, and you talked about your ego and, and, and Bob, you didn't say keeping you in line, but you, you referenced that. And then I was curious, Gary Payton and his personality – and he was so great for you. What was it like coaching Gary Payton? What was that relationship like between you and him? Oh, the first couple of years, it was tough. It was a it was a roller coaster, man. You know, I had Nate McMillan and Gary Payton when I got there, and Nate McMillan is one of my favorite human beings in the NBA. I I think he's the most unselfish player I have ever coached. And at that time, Nate was a pretty damn good point guard in our league. And so there was a battle between Gary and Sean, Gary and Nate for who should be playing, basically, when I got there. And Gary was failing as much as he was succeeding early in his career. But, you know, what we found is having Nate and Gary on the court together was great. And I think and Gary then finally came around. Instead of looking at Nate as a competitor, he looked at him as a teammate. And I think if you ask Gary Payton right now, I think he would tell you that Nate is one of the better mentors that Gary had. But early in their career, they butted heads because they were competing for time. And once we figured that out, it just grew and blossomed. And, of course, Sean being a young, one of the greatest young talents I've ever coached, you know, him him blossoming, Whitson making the trade for Denver Shrimp, Whitson making the trade for Sam Perkins, trading Benoit Benjamin and Doug Christie for Sam was a big play by us. Trading Derek McKee for Denlip Shrimp. And then the big trade that not many people understand is we had signed Kendall Bill as a free agent, and he was not working out. And, you know, the players and I, it, it, it just wasn't a fit. And we traded Kendall Gill for Hersey Hawkins. And everybody in the NBA thought we got 
we got murdered. That we got the worst player. That Kendall Gill was so much more athletic, so much more, you know, powerful. You know, Kendall Gill was all-star talent, and Hersey Hawkins was the perfect fit for our team. And when we got him, we started to roll. We started rolling, and, and we of course got to the the finals against Michael. I think it one year, and that was probably the. I really feel if we had Nate McMillan in that. If Nate McMillan would have been healthy mm-hmm. in that playoff series, I think it would have been a seven-game series. I really do. George, before we talk about some of the years in Milwaukee, how much are you enjoying your podcast, Truth in Basketball, which you started? Um, talk a little bit about that and how, how much you're enjoying that because I've listened to a couple of episodes, and uh, I, they're great. They're, I mean, if you like basketball, it's great. I really – I was surprised by it. a couple of people here in Denver came to me and said, would I try it for two years? And, I, you know, it kicks me in the game, kicks me an opportunity to express my thoughts. And the, what's funny about it is what, they named it Truth Plus Basketball. And what, what, is, what we have come up with that theme of our, our podcast is when we have a – when we have a – like I had Julius Irving last week. And Julius – I said to Julius, hey, Julius, we want you to be totally – Happy, go wherever you want to go. But what we want is more soulful, more deeper, and more real storytelling than just the peripheral BS. Mm-hmm. We want the real deep stuff. And that's kind of the thing. You know, instead of talking about 20 different subjects, we kind of like talking about three or four things longer, soulful, more deeper, more real, and more honest then maybe I think some other people spend time on. I'm glad you said that, George, because you put out a tweet in the, in the summer, a few weeks after the George Floyd murder, and it really struck me, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it written down, but you put out on social media, man, I really thought I knew a lot, but I've got a lot more to learn talking about the race and what the players in the NBA, what their lives were like, what many of them have gone through. And I like the fact that you said, you know what, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to do a lot more listening. And I think that, you know, I would say that same thing. I think a lot of us that are listening to this podcast would agree a lot more educated. You were, you've been in the league your whole life. You've been around, you know, uh, black players. You've been around European players. You've been around different types of of races. You've coached all kinds of different players, but you weren't afraid to come out and say, Hey, you know what? I need to learn more. I need to educate myself more. I thought I knew a lot, but I have a lot more to learn. I really respect you for saying that. Grant, it's even worse now. I I look back on what happened and then when all the George Floyd stuff came out, I went and talked to like 30 of my African-American friends. And I have a son-in-law that's African-American. My, my son-in-law is a black man from Mobile, Alabama named Jackie Robinson. And I went back and I talked to 20 to 30 guys. And I said, tell me what I'm missing. And every one of them had a story that made me almost cry. Mm-hmm. And I knew not only... I had to listen more, but I had failed in having, I'm this guy that believes in having an open mind and listening to people and, and, you know, there's, you know, not a lot of judgment in my heart on almost anything, but I was, I was not aware of the pain that all these successful black men that were my friends and that were my teammates and my coaching partners, I didn't know the pain that they were going through. And you know, as you said, I've actually, the thing I said after that was, one, racism is a white man's problem. And if we don't look in the mirror and realize that we have been inferior in the living up to the word, words of our Constitution of liberty and justice for all, and all the stuff I've learned since then, I am now such an advocate for not only racism, but any human indignity. I don't tolerate it. I stand up to it. And I've lost some friends because of it. And I've lost, I've gotten into pretty serious arguments, like in, in a golf course. Uh, you know, a guy will say, that, BL, uh, that BLMS that sucks. And I tried to explain to them, it's not about patriotism. It's about equality. But they always want to go back and get into this angry rage 
And I'm just saying, my belief is the white man, we got to learn. We got to listen. We got to learn. We got to have curiosity. We got to have understanding because we have to change. It can't go on like the way it's going on right now. I get asked this question a lot, so I'm going to ask you. You were in the league for a long time. You played in the you you played professional basketball. Why do you think these conversations? You were on buses together. You were on planes. You were in hotels. You were at meals together. Whatever the case may be. Why do you think it took so long to have these type of conversations? Or do you think it's because we weren't listening the way we should have been listening? I think that's pretty simple to me. I mean, we haven't listened, but we also we don't want to give up our power. We don't want to give up our influence. I mean, equality is what our country is based on. It's not about controlling and be, and manipulating the rules and laws and the banking and the real estate and and the poverty level. I mean, there's so many things that is blatantly the black man or even the white woman or the Asian or or the transgender. There's so many inequalities in our country today that why can't we just admit, hey, we haven't done as good a job as we've been people have been saying. We gotta wake up and get better at what we're doing. We gotta get better at 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 living together and loving one another in a human way. And the four years we just went through with the the fear and the lying and the dishonesty and the bullying that we were putting on TV every day for our kids made me cry. It made me sad that we had deteriorated to this point. And I think the change has been made. We go through an unbelievably ugly January. What we saw in the Capitol building, I think, made any American feel bad. And now we got to rebuild, and we rebuild. And America has always had the history of bouncing back strong. But this one's going to be challenging. It's not going to be as easy as World War II or, or you know, you know any of the, the battles we've had with other people. What we're battling right now is ourselves. We're battling each other. And we got to realize, we got to open up our hearts. And we got to do it by learn, learning, listening, loving, with curiosity and understanding. Because in the end, we got to change. Yeah, well said. George, I mentioned Milwaukee. You went there after Seattle. You took a bad team. You made the playoffs, I think, the first three years in a row. But I want to fast forward to Denver. Because when I think of your Denver teams, particularly uh, the last year at home, you guys were almost unbeatable. Number three seed, the playoffs begin. Gallinari had gotten hurt towards the end of the regular season. Then I think in the first game, if I'm not mistaken, Fareed turns his ankle, and you guys lose to the sixth seed Warriors, and that was kind of like it. How painful was it for you? Because you mentioned Nate McMillan. If he had been totally healthy, you think you would have won a championship in Seattle. Then you have one of the best teams in the league, particularly at home, and injuries factored into the lack of success there. How painful is that when you look back at that? Well, unfortunately, I just uh, I watched that video, the seven-game series, a uh, six-game series against Golden State a couple times in the COVID time. We didn't know that Golden State was going to blow up like they blew up. And that was their coming out party the year they beat us in the first round and upset us. Uh, that's where Steph really went off a couple times. Uh, Clay Thompson was really good. Draymond Green came out of nowhere. And as you said, you know, we lost probably our most talented offensive player in, in Gallo. But Fareed was hurt, but also Ty Lawson had a sprained ankle too. And I thought if you go back and look at the series, it was a good series, a fun series. But the overreacting fired the coaching staff after that. Even though Sacramento was disappointing, I think the day they fired me here in Denver was was probably even a little more disappointing. Well, again, George, you guys were a number three seed, you know, and I really believe that, you know, injuries did factor into that. You made a great point. I didn't even think about that was Golden State's coming out party. 
But you're, the, the Nuggets were still a damn good team, right? I mean, uh, it was almost like, wait a minute, we're, we've just gotten here, we've just arrived, why change everything? Uh, it, it would make you scratch your head. Obviously, it did for you. But you look back, that, that may have been the most disappointing departure in your career that time you, you got fired from Denver? Yeah, there's no question. Because we thought we were one shooter away from being really good. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this will ever be done again. But we led the NBA in scoring. And we were 27th in free throw shooting percentage. And we shot like 30 free throws a game. Wow. And we were 29 in three-point shooting. And we still led the NBA in scoring. And we just thought we needed a little more, you know, knockdown shooting mentality. And it was a young team. It was not it was not an old team. It was a young team. And, you know, the management got tired of losing in the first round of the a lot of times to the team that would win the NBA championship. And that just didn't, that made them unhappy. And they made a, I thought, a somewhat of a drastic, radical decision. Um, and they went, I think, six or seven years without making the playoffs. Now they've got a hell of a good team. But I can't, I can't, I mean, I mean, the two good jobs I think about would be, it would have been fun to stay in Denver for another five or six years, but it also would have been fun to have a, a free swing at trying to make Sacramento good. Those are the two jobs that I think about all the time. That's interesting because, you know, in Denver, you know, you were there for a number of years, but it almost seems like Sacramento was like over in a flash. And to me, as we go back to that, I don't even think you had a chance. I thought the buildup before you even coached one game was so negative coming from the Cousins camp, and it, it created so much already uh, distraction and controversy that I, I didn't even, honestly, George, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, I, I didn't even think you really had a legitimate chance to do it there. Is that fair? You know, Grant, I talked to a lot of people before I took the job, but you never know what you're walking into. And, you know, the thing that, that blew my mind away was Probably one of the convincing voices that made me go to made made the decision to go to Sacramento was Peter Alessandro. Peter was here in Denver with me, and Peter was convinced that we could do it. And then two weeks into being there, Peter and Alessandro they are bloody, and Peter basically thought he was done, and so my ally in the organization was gone. And you know I. I'm old school in a lot of ways. I don't hold my tongue in meetings, but I think I'm a loyal loyal soldier. But I just don't think the window to speak your mind, the open window of saying your what you really think all the time was existent when I got there. And I, I, I don't know if it exists even now. It seems like they're, they're doing a lot of similar things all the time. But I don't know. I root for Sacramento. I, I root for Denver. I want them both to have good runs, and oh, you know, Denver has a chance to. Get, I got to figure out some things. Their team is struggling a little bit, and I, I, I would love to see Coach Walton figure out how to get the Sacramento Kings into the playoffs. George, last thing for you: when you look back at your career, over a thousand wins, amazing longevity, so many successful stops along the way, but if you could go back and do it all over again, is there one thing that you would change about the way you coached or the way you dealt with player or whatever the case? Is there one thing that if you could go back and do it all over again, you would change? You know, I think the one thing I learned in my, the, the processes that I went through was delegate more and don't be a dictator. In today's game, as the, as the, our society changes. I think coaches are going to have to change. And I think maybe towards the end of my career, you know, my son is a coach now. And he's, I, I tell Kobe all the time, I said, I'm old school and you're new school. And Kobe is really going to be a good coach because he knows how to connect and communicate with today's player. For me, maybe at, at the end of my career, a couple of years here in Denver and maybe a year or two, in Sacramento, 
I went about it the wrong way to communicate with the markets. But I, I promise you, I was trying. And I was just, pro- I was doing it on what I believe is the way I did it with World Be Free or Gary Payton or, or a Big Dog Robinson. You know, I, I've always had guys that I could communicate with. And I, it wasn't always soft shoe when it either. And so I would, I would try to probably, you know, be more of, more open to, as kind of what I said about racism, learn, listen, learn, do it with the curiosity and understanding, and then work together to, to connect and communicate better. And speaking of uh, Kobe, uh, he also is going to be starting a, a podcast called The Curious Leader. Uh, he is the head coach uh, of the South Bay Lakers, and uh, it's a podcast exploring his journey on becoming a head coach and a leader in the sport. Uh, George, you know what? I really enjoyed catching up with you. I enjoyed hearing your stories. Uh, I'm glad that uh, the health is well. I'm glad that uh, we have been able to, you know, make some good. And by make some good, you know, come out in the forefront, uh, educate ourselves, which uh, we have talked a little bit about on this podcast and you've done on some of your previous podcasts and via social media. Uh, I wish you continued good health. I wish you the best. And uh, again, thank you so much. I really enjoy this. Grant, I, I appreciate your support over the years. And uh, you never know how this world's going to change. I mean, uh, I, I love the game. The game of basketball has been a gift. And it's still a gift every day of my life. And, I, and I'm always going to serve it with love and loyalty and commitment. Well, that was a great conversation with George. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We're going to get to our crowd ultra Q&A in just a moment. But I want to first tell you that today's show is also brought to you by Manscaped. Hey, fellas, guess what? We're in the thick of winter, right? And a storms are brewing. Hey, it looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Now, the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. And because of their ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technology, your snags on your snowballs will be reduced. And the trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower or jacuzzi if you're a savage. Manscaped's Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. Now, the Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag. Hey, have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Hey, might as well use the best tools to do the job. Now, this bundle also comes with the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Re- Survivor Ball Toner. Folks, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. Hey, don't get cold feet this winter. They also have a ton of other amazing men's hygiene products on their website, from disposable mats for your pubes to foot deodorant. Folks, again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the code NAPES. N-A-P-E-S. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. N-A-P-E-S. We'll get you there. Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winner winners look so good. All right, now to that Q&A. Just go to crowdultra.com. Sign up if you haven't already done so. Takes about a minute. And then maybe I will answer your question right here on the podcast. All right, let's get to uh, today's questions uh, this is from Sam. Does it bother you that the media sheds light on every mistake a pro athlete makes? Vincent Jackson and Johnny Damon are recent examples. Love the pod. Thanks, Sam. Well, listen, Johnny Damon allegedly was driving intoxicated three times uh, over the limit. Johnny Damon uh, is a public figure. And if you're a public figure and you do something wrong, it's going to be in the news. So, no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, fortunately, Johnny Damon didn't kill somebody on the road. All right? That's really what is the positive about all of this. But does it bother me? No. Not if, not, not if it's justified. It doesn't bother me at all. Casey wants to know, will Zion be MVP caliber in the next five years? If he stays healthy, I don't think there's any question about it. I, I think clearly 
he will be MVP caliber way before five years. Hey, Kevin uh, wants to know, what's your thoughts on the NFL asking for double from networks for broadcasting rights? Well, listen, the networks don't have to broadcast the games, right? They don't have to pay that much if they don't want to. I, I know that as of 24 hours ago, you know, ESPN balked at the offer for Monday Night Football. That negotiation, from what I understand, is still ongoing. The NFL is a hot commodity. It's a hot property. The problem is the domino effect. When the networks pay this type of money to televise the games, unfortunately, it costs a lot of good people their jobs because they have to cut corners and they have to cut staff. And we've, we've seen it over and over again, particularly at ESPN. It's a shame. It's an absolute shame, but that's the world we're living in. Ross wants to know, do you think the Lake Tahoe games will become an NHL tradition? I hope so. It was awesome. Unfortunate what happened in the uh, Vegas-Colorado game uh, with the sun uh, and the ice problems. Hopefully they can, you know, just have the game start later in the day like they did on Sunday for the Boston-Philadelphia game. But, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, it was phenomenal. Nick from New York. Wants to know who's more likely to win a championship first, the Knicks or the Jets. I'm going to say the Jets because I think it's much easier to go from real bad to real good in the National Football League than it is in the NBA. And it's been proven year after year after year after year that the Knicks cannot attract the top-tier free agents. So I'm going to go Jets, although I don't think it's happening uh, anytime soon. Lou wants to know, do you agree with Draymond's remarks about Drummond being mistreated? No, I don't. And I don't for this reason. Draymond talks a lot. And, you know, sometimes what he says is spot on. And he's not afraid to speak his opinion. And I respect that about Draymond. But there are a lot of other factors that go into players not playing when there's a potential trade. Sometimes it's being orchestrated by the agent. Uh, There's open lines of communication between the front office of a team the agent and the player, maybe they've all agreed on that. It's not just a blanket phenomenon across the league. Every situation is different, and I think that Draymond, you know, needs to do a little bit more homework before he makes that bold uh, of a statement. All right, we move on. Josh wants to know, will people moving out of cities like San Francisco and L.A. impact the franchises in their city? I don't see that being impacted at all. Jackson wants to know, should Cam Newton make the Hall of Fame? In my opinion, he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's just my opinion. Uh, Tim wants to know, did you watch the NHL games in Tahoe? I addressed that again. I thought they were phenomenal. Uh, I did watch that. Brad wants to know, what sport has the toughest athletes? I've always said hockey. You know, a lot of people would say the NFL. I mean, you, 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 you got to be tough as nails to play in the NFL. But I've always thought that hockey players uh, are the toughest athletes. Uh, I would put basketball and baseball clearly third and fourth, whether you have football one, hockey two, or hockey one and football two. I don't think there's any question. And then comes, uh, you know, basketball uh, and baseball. But I, to me, it's uh, the NHL players. NHL players. Tom wants to know, what do you think about Alvin Kamara becoming a NASCAR sponsor and trying to get more NFL players into the sport? Hey, that's good. Go for it. You know, Joe Gibbs made the transition from coaching in the NFL to uh, team owner, and there have been others. Hey, go for it. Absolutely. You know, NASCAR needs all the help they can get. Luke wants to know, can Isaiah Thomas find himself back in the NBA if he performs well with USA Basketball? I sure hope so. I'm a big Isaiah fan. I saw his first game. He did very well. You know, with him, it's just about staying healthy. Uh, Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the one thing about Isaiah, don't ever say that he can't do something because he will prove you wrong, Uh, and I am rooting for him. Trevor wants to know, have you seen any of O.J. Simpson's videos on Twitter? I have not, nor do I care to, all right? Neil wants to know, what's your opinion on many NBA players rejecting to promote the vaccine for the NBA? Why should they promote the vaccine? Like, why? Like, I, I, I'm surprised that they would even be asked to promote the vaccine for the NBA. I'm not surprised at all. Not surprised at all. We'll see how this turns out. But again, I'm not surprised. Reed wants to know, are there too many postponed games occurring in the NBA and NHL? Well, you know what? They've got their COVID protocols. They're following them. Uh, they're being extra cautious. They are keeping one thing and one thing only in mind, that's to continue their games and their sport while trying to protect the people involved in their sport. So are there too many? I don't know the circumstances for all of the games that have been postponed. But again, they're following 
protocol based on the advice of experts. So I can't criticize them for that. I really can't. Hey, again, if you want to ask me a question on my podcast, just go to crowdultra.com and sign up. It takes about a minute. Again, just go to crowdultra.com. It's time for Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. So I thought I would bring in Nando Diaz, who was on with me a couple of months ago to help me with the rant. He also has started a podcast, which I've listened to. I think he's doing a hell of a job. So Nando, man, let me welcome you back to the show. How are you? How's it going, Grant? Happy to be back. It is going very well. How's the podcast going? Why? Tell me why you got involved with the podcast and how you enjoy doing it. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, well, I'm just, you know, a diehard Miami sports fan. I'm a Dolphins fan, Marlins fan, Heat fan. And I just love talking sports. And I figured, you know, since I watch every game, I'm all up, caught up on Twitter with reporters and stuff. Why don't I do a little thing of my own, you know, giving fans uh other other sports fans like a fans perspective because sometimes you don't want to hear necessarily the whole proper media stuff so just giving up perspective perspective from a fans that people can relate to and it just it, it motivated me that is awesome all right what's the name of your podcast how can people find it uh yes it's uh miami sports vibes with nando diaz you can find it on all podcast platforms apple spotify and i have a twitter account it's at sports vibes 305 you can follow me there and i have the links all up all up on the page all right so that's awesome now even you're doing your rant on the miami heat right even though they're playing a little better is that what you're doing your rant on yes sir all right so uh here it is right now here is nando diaz and his rant on the miami heat the floor is all yours sir all right so my rant has to do with the inconsistency of my miami heat so you can say yeah they won through the, uh, the past games against sacramento and la but then you blow te- you blow wins against teams like the Clippers earlier in the week with no starters, no Kawhi Leonard, no Paul George, Nicholas Batum, not playing. And then you get lit up by some guy, Amir Coffey, who's a G League player, lights you up. Then you don't play a back-to-back. You have a night off in between, and then you play Golden State, and you blow a 19-point lead. And then you have Kent Bazemore scoring over 25 off the bench. No disrespect to him because I know a lot of people like him, but he was – attacking our players like he's freaking LeBron James. And then you got fans saying, oh, you know, when a superstar player gets available like a Bradley Beal, oh, we'll get Bradley Beal, we'll get him. Why the hell would Beal want to come here now? I mean, what have we shown? A bunch of inconsistency? And then you got executives saying that the Heat Finals run was a fluke last year and a couple couple Heat players didn't like it. But you know what? You're not doing a good job proving them otherwise. And I'm a huge Heat fan, but it's time to wake up. You're the freaking 10th seed in the Eastern Conference. So it's time to put up or shut up. Good job. Good job right there, Nando. I really appreciate that. Now I'm going to get to my rant, and it has to do with the Sacramento Kings. February 10th. I did a rant telling everyone to stop their negativity. Where is the negativity? Everybody was bitching and moaning, and then the Kings won seven of eight, and I did a rant like, where are you now? Well, since that point in time, the Kings have not won a game. That's right. They have not won a game. They've lost seven in a row, and defensively, they've been an embarrassment, which is pretty much the story all year. They're averaging their opponents 124 points a game. That's right. Their opponents are averaging 124 points a game during their seven-game losing streak. I mean, that's freaking embarrassing. Now, I I wish I had all the answers for you. I don't, because I know you have a lot of questions. And I know the biggest question you have is, what the hell is the plan? I would love to be able to tell you what the plan is, but I don't know it. You know, I hate to pick on any individual player, but why is Buddy Heald starting? Uh, Buddy is much better suited, in my opinion, for coming off the bench. Why not start the kid? Why not start Halliburton and Fox? They're two of your best players. Play them together in the backcourt. Bring Buddy off the bench. Is it because they're trying to showcase Buddy? Because they're trying to move him? Could very well be. But, you know, if I'm a general manager of another team right now, I'm going to be very reluctant to take Buddy Heald in that contract. I really am. 
And I'm not saying Buddy doesn't need a change of scenery, but he better be going to a team that's going to use him in the right role. And in my opinion, that is coming off the bench. You know, at least Marvin Bagley is starting to show some life, at least offensively. You know, we know he can't guard a shadow. At least he's out there giving a hell of an effort. Hopefully he'll get better. But it's about time that Marvin Bagley looks like he is worthy of at least, you know, a fairly high pick. Yeah, I'm not saying the Kings made the right selection to number two, but it bothers me when I hear Marvin Bagley and bust. The kid is not a bust. He's a lot better than a bust. You want to know what a bust is? Thomas Robinson. That's a bust. Hashim to beat. That's a bust. All right, I can go on and on. Those are examples of bust. Marvin Bagley is not a bust. But again, I don't know what the hell the plan is in Sacramento. What's going on right now is embarrassing. Who knows? They may not even win another game the way they're playing. That's how bad they look. And I don't want to hear about injuries. Every team in the league's got injuries. There's the, the, the depth on the, te- the, te- the team is awful. I mean, it's non-existent. Terrible. Embarrassing. Seven losses in a row. Defensively, where's the effort? And again, fans want to know what the hell is going on. They have a right to know what's going on because they've been asking the same damn question now since 2007. It's about freaking time. And don't tell the fans you're rebuilding again. I mean, they've been rebuilding over and over and over and over and over and over. You know, and I've gone through this for many years, talking to all the fans for as many years as I did my radio show about patience. I'm not asking for patience anymore. The fans don't need to be patient. Fans have been damn patient long enough. Time to figure out what the hell is going on. Awful. Seven-game losing streak, pathetic. And that is my rant for today. Hey, my thanks again to George Carl. Really enjoyed that conversation. Great job by George. My thanks to Nando for helping him out with uh, half the rant on the Miami Heat. Hey, do me a favor, especially if you are listening to this via Apple Podcast. Take just a moment. Please a review, a comment. It would mean a lot to me. And thank you for your subscriptions. And don't forget about the video ran over on YouTube as well. Folks, thank you so much, as always, for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. <laughs>